All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 8. Exodus uh, chapter 8, as you're turning there, we uh, took a look at the first plague in chapter 7 of Exodus. We come to Exodus chapter 8. What we learn as we study through this, it is evident that we're talking about the judgment of, of God upon the Pharaoh, upon the land of Egypt, upon the wickedness of man. But we are reminded that when God deals with man, He always deals with man according to His mercy. Now, how do we know that? Uh, because when God deals in judgment, often it's found here, it's even uh, found in the book of Revelation God has the power in just a moment to cut men off the face of the earth. He spoke the world into existence. He can speak and it would be the end of all wickedness. But God deals with men. And when we think about the stages of the plagues, God is, is working on man. It's interesting. We're going to look at this this. In this study, in Exodus chapter 8, that Pharaoh is going to say, Oh, okay, if you let the plague go, then I'll, I'll let you go. There seems to be moments of acknowledgement of the Lord, and then he turns and says, No, never mind. And yet God continues to deal with man the, the same. In the book of Revelation, when you study through uh, uh, the seven seals and uh, the vials and all those things, why does God do things in stages? Throughout the book of Revelation, you'll find this truth repeated. And they repented not. The whole point of why God deals with man in such a way is that He wants man to repent. And God continues to, continually tells us, even though He has power to bring down all judgment and to cut men off in a moment, He chooses to deal with man in mercy. Often people look at, look at the judgments of God and say, Oh, look at God as a, uh, seems to be a mean God. Actually, it's quite the opposite. He is very gracious and merciful. Uh, that's how He always deals with man. That's what we find in the Scriptures. Now Exodus chapter 8, to notice with me, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We come to the second plague. We read about the first one. Just so we do the review from the last one, see how it ended. Uh, maybe I wasn't clear at the end. If you notice at the end in verse, let's pick it up at chapter 7, verse 23. The Bible says, And Pharaoh turned... And went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. Pharaoh, at the end, when the river and the water was turned to blood, Pharaoh at no point said to Moses, please do away with it. Uh, he simply turned and went to his house. Verse 24, And all the Egyptians digged around about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled... After that the Lord had smitten the river. So notice, so apparently this plague would last for seven days. And so after seven days, the plague just goes away. And, and Pharaoh probably thinks at this moment, then, well, there you go. It was temporary and now we can move on. Uh, but we're going to find here in this plague, it's going to be quite different. Because Pharaoh is going to ask for this plague to be removed. It's interesting that... Um, God chose the first plague to be seven days. It's like a warning to man. Here is my power. Would you let the people go? And God did not make the first plague permanent. He showed His power. And then He 
uh, made the plague go away. And now we come to plague 2, verse 1, verse chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all the borders with frogs. That's right, frogs. How many children like frogs? How many of you have ever picked up a frog off the ground? Okay, I'm not into slimy things. And so I don't like to touch the, the, the stuff, but I know children uh, love to do that. Frogs, well, you would have a wonderful time in Egypt with all those frogs. No, you would not. Let's keep reading. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thy house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed and into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into their, uh, thine ovens and into their kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come upon both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Again, I want to pause and say, if you wanted to do any miracle or signs, get the frogs to go away. They bring more. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Verse 8, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord. We don't know how long this went on for, but evidently it went on for a period of time where Pharaoh had enough. Remember, the first plague was seven days. This seems to go on until finally Pharaoh comes to Aaron, uh, uh, request for the presence of Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto, uh, unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. When shall I retreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people, and they shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, and of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart, and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said." I want to bring your attention to verse 6. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. I want to preach this evening on this, the land covered with frogs. Before we deal with this individual plague, I do want us to remind us as to why God brought about those plagues upon the Egyptians. The Bible actually states that. I mentioned those last week. I will just reiterate those things without 
I'll go into the Scriptures. I've already mentioned those things. But we know according to the Scriptures that God brought forth the plagues to manifest His power in a public fashion. It was a public display of the power of God. And by the way, they're going to realize the Egyptians, the magicians themselves, are going to go, I think in the next plague, are going to go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And so God's power is going to be manifested in a public way. Secondly, God sent forth a plague to display His wrath against Pharaoh and His cruel treatment against the children of Israel. Uh, If you notice in our text we just read, uh, the Bible says in verse 12, And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs, which he had brought against who? Against Pharaoh. And so God displayed His wrath against Pharaoh and against His cruel treatment of Israel. We also know that God uh, uh, um, sent forth the plagues to exercise judgment upon the gods of the Egyptians and to demonstrate that Jehovah God is greater than all other gods. The Bible makes it clear that God Himself said, There is none else but Me. I know not of any other God. And by the way, that was true for the Egyptians to know, but it was also true for the children of Israel to know. We know as we read the narrative of Exodus that many of the children of Israel had been influenced in idolatry. As a matter of fact, when the law was given on Mount Sinai, and Moses found them with a golden calf. Where did that come from? Egypt. They had seen that all over the land, and many of them had been influenced and had, I believe, gone into paganism as many Egyptians. But we also know that these plagues were sent to stand as a warning to all other nations. As the children of Israel would leave Egypt, we're going to find that the nations around the world, and particularly the nations that they're going to interact with, are going to remember what God has done to the Egyptians And it's going to stand as a warning for them. And many of those nations and the people in those nations are going to repent before God because of the things that God has done. And lastly, God sent forth this plague to test the children of Israel. You see, when God is sending forth His judgments here, the ten plagues, it is not only going to affect the Egyptians, it is also going to affect the children of Israel This plague, the Bible says, the frogs are going to be throughout the entire border of Egypt. So that would affect, indeed, the children of Israel. And so the children of Israel are going to be, if you would, part of this judgment of God. They're going to experience part of it. I know in the last one, if you put the blood on the doorpost, your firstborn son is not going to die. And so they're going to be spared for that. But many of those plagues are going to be involved just as the Egyptians So now we come to the second plague and we are considering plague number two and it's frogs. We read about it. I want to uh, proceed through our text and if you want to write, if you write down notes, I'll give you the outline and then we'll move through the truths that we find in our text. So Exodus chapter 8, we first look and find the announcement of the plague. So... The time has expired between the first plague and the second plague. At least we know seven days. Now things have returned back to normal in the land. The Nile River is flowing with water and uh, the vessels uh, of wood and of stone are 
the water is back normal. It's not blood. And, and so now things appear to be normal. And so God now, He makes an announcement to Moses and Aaron that there is going to be yet another plague. In verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And so in this announcement, we have for us repeated again the reason for the plague. You see, God, when He sends forth a judgment or a plague, He gives us the reason for that plague and for that judgment. The reason is stated here that the people, Pharaoh ought to let the people go. And so the announcement of the plague, the basis of the plague is the rebellion of Pharaoh, whereby Pharaoh refuses to let the children of Israel serve their gods. You see, the Pharaoh up to this point, he wants to be their god. He himself is considered a god among the Egyptians. Uh, It is a pagan nation. And so he has refused so far to let the people go. So we have the reason for the plague, but then we also have the refusal of the Pharaoh. In verse 2, the Bible says, And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all the borders with frogs. And so the refusal of Pharaoh was... Uh, would be condemned, would be announced that if he, re- he refuses to do, uh, to let the people go, then that refusal would bring about that plague. But we also see in verse 3, And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading trowels. And so, We find here uh, the retribution to the Pharaoh that it would not be only the Pharaoh who who would face retribution, but it would be the entire land of Egypt that would face retribution. You know, when we think about any time that God judges a people or a land, it is not because of every single person. It could be because of the rebellion, often maybe one individual and not necessarily the nation as a whole. And in this case, it's because of the rebellion and the heart and heart of Pharaoh, that he is opposing God and defying God, and so retribution not only comes upon Pharaoh, but it would come upon the entire land of Pharaoh. And part of that would be that God would uh, discount the deity of Pharaoh before the Egyptian people who worshipped him. Because in the face of these plagues, Pharaoh would find himself completely helpless to stand against the Almighty God. But then we also see the reach of the plague. The plague would reach, according here to verse 3, throughout the entire borders, as we look through our chapter, throughout the borders of Egypt, but he mentions here in the house, in the bedchambers, in the ovens, in the kneading troughs. We'll talk about those things in a moment. But here God announces His judgment that is to come. And by the way, that is much like God. God doesn't come down upon man and then, boom, judgment came out of nowhere. No, God announces what He is going to do if men refuse to repent. Uh, By the way, that's what He would tell later the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. You remember in the book of Deuteronomy, God says, I... I, I, I give you life or death. I give you a blessing or a curse. He says, if you enter into the land 
And when you get to the land, you see the blessing and you have your houses and you have your, uh, your blessing in the land. If you say, we have done this, we have gotten this blessing, we have uh, conquered the land in our own power, in our own hand, then God will send a curse. You see, God always announces what He's going to do before He does it. Why? So that man is not ignorant as to why God is bringing forth His judgment. You see, often, by the way, the Bible, the pattern of the Bible is, when judgment comes, what do men often do? What, what, why the judgment? The book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, who was sent to the nation of Israel, he says, you've robbed God in tithes and offering. And the people of Israel say, wherein, wherein have we robbed God? Now, that is the... Uh, the, the natural response of man when God says, if you do this, I will judge you. And man says, well, we don't believe that you will judge us. We will go on and do our own thing. And then the judgment of God falls. And then man says, well, why are we judged? Blaming God. As if God is not, uh, doesn't know what He is doing. And so we see the announcement of the plague. But then we move and we see the affliction on the people. Notice verse 5, as we proceed. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. There's two things that are said about this plague. The frogs would be abundant, verse 3, in verse 6, the frogs would come up and they would cover the land of Egypt. Now, I know what the response is to us uh, when we think about those things, but I, I really try to put a perspective on this. We have to try to put ourselves in this account. When we think about the water turning to blood, all of the water everywhere turned to blood, that is significant. The stench of the blood drying on the shore. Now we have frogs, and so let's not think of, all oh, frogs, they're so cute and so cuddly and so squishy. It's wonderful. No, it is not wonderful. It's actually horrible. Now, if you don't like frogs, it's, it's horrible. But even if you like frogs, it's horrible. And by the way, the Egyptians like frogs. I will show you that. As we think about the affliction on the people, I want to point out several things in our text. First of all, we see that the people's gods were exposed. Uh, notice with me in verse 3, we read, The river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. Notice here the expression, The river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. Notice verse 5, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come uh, up upon the land of Egypt. And so those frogs like this plague, would come out of any body of water in the land of Egypt. Uh, and uh, that would, we would see here that the people's gods were exposed. Let me explain. Frogs were not unusual creatures to the Egyptians. Uh, they were very common along the Nile River, around any ponds, really all throughout the land of Egypt. Many Egyptians, uh, if you look at you know, some discoveries and archaeological discoveries, many Egyptian paintings and inscriptions portrayed and mentioned frogs. It was a common thing. To the Egyptians, the frog represented fruitfulness, blessing, and really the assurance of a harvest. 
This concept came up as a result of the flooding of the Nile, which I mentioned last week, which occurred every year in mid-September. By the end of mid-December, so that's a number of months, by the mid-December, the Nile would return to its normal channel. Even though the water would recede, it left behind many pools and ponds throughout the countryside that uh, would take a while to dry out. The small bodies of water would often be inhabited by frogs, who would crowd every night the evening noise. So to the Egyptian farmers, the sound of frogs was an indication that the gods who controlled the Nile uh, made the land fertile and completed their work. The gods have done this for us. That was the sound of frogs. That's what it meant to them. The god Happy, which I mentioned last week, was the god who made the land fertile Uh, granting a fruitful harvest. You see, if the Nile didn't go over its bank and flood throughout the land and hydrate the land, if you would, there would not be a good harvest. But since the Nile would do that every year, it was uh, pretty much if the Nile overflowed, it was the guarantee that there would be a good harvest. And so the gods of the Egyptians would be worshipped for this fruitfulness. You see, this... um, caused the Egyptians to deify frogs. Hence, the the goddess Hecht, H-E-Q-T. That was an Egyptian god. Hecht was the wife of the god that I mentioned last week, which was a Nile god, Knum. Uh, She was a symbol of resurrection and the emblem of fertility. Uh, She was also believed, or Hecht was believed, to assist women in childbirth. Hence, fruitfulness. Hecht was one of the eight primeval gods, four male frog, uh, frog-headed gods and four serpent-headed goddesses. And so some of the Egyptian gods had heads of frogs. The frog was considered uh, such a sacred animal that should not be intentionally killed. However, even an involuntary slaughter of a frog was often punishable by death. Now think about that perspective. If you lived in Egypt and squish, oops, what do you do? Just shove it under a rock or something. That's pretty serious. But they deify frogs, why? Because it represented the gods of the Niles that provided for the Egyptians. Now, imagine this scene. Do you think that the reputation or the popularity of the goddess Hecht would have been greatly diminished or hindered because of this plague? Uh, We're all for frogs, but not for frogs covering the land. So we see the people's gods were exposed. And by the way, each one of the plagues as we keep moving forward is God directly attacking the gods of the Egyptians. That is mentioned later in God's Word. And so we see the people's gods were exposed, but then we see the people's land was engulfed. In verse 6, the Bible tells us, um, when Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt... Now, I know the Bible is difficult to understand. It's not. But when the Bible says covered, it means covered. If you sleep at night, how many of you need a blanket over you? 
Would you raise, how many of you know blankets? You'd like, okay, a few of you know blankets. You're strange. I'm just going <laughs> to. When you think about covering with a blanket, it's the entirety of your body, and you snuggle in the blanket at night. When the Bible uses the word cover, the land was covered with frogs, it means the land was literally covered with frogs. Do you believe the Bible? So imagine if we still try to have church tonight, and in this room, covering the seats and covering the entirety of the floor and jumping around would be frogs everywhere. For those of you who like frogs, it wouldn't take long for you to become very, um, or to have your hearts hardened towards frogs. Harry Reimer describes the scene, he says, like a blanket of filth, the slimy, wet monstrosities cover the land until men sickened at the continued squashing crunch of the ghastly pavement they were forced to walk upon. If a man's feet slipped on the greasy mass of their crushed bodies, he fell into an incredibly offensive mass of putrid uncleanness. And when he sought water to cleanse himself, the water was so solid with frogs, he could not find cleansing there. Just a short description. You see, the Nile, which had long been the source of blessing, became the source of pollution. And so the people's land was engulfed. The people's gods were exposed. But also we see thirdly, the people's houses were infested. So it's not just that the land was covered, it's that everywhere you go you would see frogs. Notice the description in verse 3. The river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. And here is the definition of abundantly. They shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchambers and upon thy bed and into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into thy ovens and into thy kneading troughs. And so here the people's houses were infested. This would be very personal. The word here, and now we know houses means houses. That's the place they, they lived in at that time. And so the frogs would be infesting the houses. They would find their way in your houses. The bedchamber, that's talking about uh, those bedrooms where you sleep at night. The frogs would be all over. The word bed here literally means the place where you lay at night or even the place where you eat your food. Uh, then not only would uh, their, the main houses be infested, but even the houses of their servants would be infested. Many of them would probably have a small room off the side of their houses for those that had servants. And those small houses would also be infested. Uh, and not only that, but even the ovens. What's the ovens? Well, it's basically the word oven means a firing pot or a furnace. It would be the place where often the Egyptians would cook, cook their, their dough. It would not only be in the furnace, it would also be in the kneading troughs, which refers to the place where they kneaded their dough and made it into loaves. This was the preparation place, bowl if you would, where they would uh, uh, place the dough and then place it in the oven. So wherever you try to work, whatever you try to cook, there's frogs and slime everywhere. Can you imagine the great frustration and the discomfort this plague brought the frogs came out of the rivers in abundance and moved throughout the land into the houses and bedrooms and beds and onto people themselves. And so I, I, I don't like bugs. I would really not like that. Now some of you are, are so 
shocked by what I'm saying that tonight before you get into bed, you're going to lift up your blanket and see to, to, to look if there's any frogs in there. Can you imagine that, that life disturbing? God is trying to get the attention of man to where now wherever man goes, the more he walks around, the more he tries to avoid frogs, the more he finds them everywhere and the, the, the regard, whatever regard he had for their gods is quickly vanishing away. Because now inadvertently, every time an Egyptian set foot on the ground, he is more, most likely crushing a god. But it would get to the place where the Egyptians would be so sick of trying to be careful that now they don't care. And so now every time they, uh, they step down, they're crushing another frog, another frog, and another god, another god. And so now uh, the, the god that they held in such reverence that somebody was put to death for killing a frog. They can't help themselves. And so... We see the people's gods were exposed. The people's lands were engulfed. The people's land was engulfed. The people's houses were infested. But what we find is that, verse 7, the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up, uh, up frogs upon the land of Egypt. The magicians were unable to remove the frogs, nor could they erect any barrier against the encroachment of the frogs. All they could do was to bring forth more frogs. Whatever they did, be it producing frogs or creating frogs, whatever miracle they used or trickery they used, they could not stop or remove the plague. You know, I think that this is a good illustration of what's going on throughout human history. That wherever the judgment of God has fallen, man has often attempted to try to smooth the consequences of God's judgment without addressing the real issue, and that is repentance. That's the world we live in. So we see not only the announcement of the plague, the affliction on the people, we also see thirdly the appeal of the Pharaoh. So this is going to move the Pharaoh. Evidently, I think that perhaps the Pharaoh, when he went back to his house, he thought that in his house he would be okay. But then he got to his bedroom and he opened the blanket and there was frogs. Went to the bathroom. Frogs. Went to try to escape that. Maybe shut himself in a closet in his house to try to eat a little bit of bread and he found a frog cooked in his bread. That's what the Bible says, that they were in the kneading troughs. So, well, some more protein, but after a while you'd be sick of frogs. How many of you have had frog legs? Have you ate frog legs? Okay, I've ate frog legs. In France, my, uh, we had family that got frogs, and, they, and it tastes like chicken. You know, it's like, um, well, why am I talking about this? Let's move on here. <laughs> we, we have enough of frogs here. Uh, uh, let's look at the appeal then of the Pharaoh, verse 8. Then Pharaoh. What? No kidding. Think about those words. Then Pharaoh. Then what? Frogs everywhere. Persisting. Now, I would imagine that it took some time for Pharaoh to have to call on Aaron and Moses. Think about it. Remember when the Nile turned to blood? Moses slept. He never called for, for Moses and Aaron. For seven days, there was blood everywhere. And 
it wasn't enough for him to call on Moses and Aaron. And so here I am sure some time has expired, but now Pharaoh has had enough and he notices probably after seven days the frog has still have not gone away. It's been a week and uh, this plague they have found uh, no relief. And so finally he calls on uh, Moses and Aaron. And I want you to notice here because there appears to be a number of concessions that Pharaoh makes. Verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. So we know he was personally affected because Pharaoh, he, 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 is, such, he is such about himself that he says, Take them from me first and then from the people. And I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. I want you to notice here, I, I wrote down a few things about the appeal of Pharaoh in which he makes a number of concessions. First of all, it seems that his opinion of God has improved. Now, the reason why I say that is that when he calls on Moses and Aaron, he says this, Entreat the Lord. That's the words of Pharaoh. The word Lord, if you have it in your Bible, is L-O-R-D, all capitalized. That is Jehovah God, the self-existent one. The one who is dependent on no one. Now, this would be a big statement for Pharaoh. Why? Because he believes and worships many gods, but he doesn't believe in any self-existent God. Every god they have has been sculpted with their own hands. Every god they had has had, had a, a temple built for them. Every god they had has to be represented with something that is earthly in this world, something that is temporal. And now he says, entreat the Lord, Jehovah God, the self-existent one, the one who is dependent on not one man, you ask him. I think that's a concession. Now, remember what he said in chapter 5 in his first meeting? He said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let the children of Israel go? I know not the Lord. Neither will I let the children of Israel go. But here he says, Entreat the Lord, Jehovah God. So his opinion of God has improved. We see secondly that he began to acknowledge the superiority of God's power. If you notice verse 8, he says, Entreat the Lord that He may take away the frogs from me. Now notice here, that is an acknowledgement of the power of God. Because He has to acknowledge, if God is to remove them, it is God that has placed them. And so here He is forced to acknowledge that the Jehovah God is superior in power than all the gods of the Egyptians. Now, I think he probably still thinks that he's just another god of the many gods. But the point here is he acknowledges the superiority of Jehovah God. We also see thirdly that he requested Moses have an audience with God. Notice verse 8. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord. Now, this is just... My, my thinking, I'm thinking, well, Pharaoh, how about you call on God? Lord, would you take away this plague from me? No, no, no. Pharaoh, you see, and I think this is the first indication that he is not repenting, is that he wants to go through Moses. He doesn't want to come to God. He doesn't want to repent before God. He wants Moses because he knows Moses is righteous. He wants Moses, and he knows that Moses will have an audience with God while he will not have an audience with God. And so he was 
He requested Moses to have an audience with God. We also see, fourthly, that he was dependent upon the mercy of God. Do you notice here the words, entreat the Lord? Would you beg the Lord? Ask the Lord kindly that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. So, so what, what is Pharaoh saying? Would you ask the Lord to be merciful? Would you ask the Lord to be merciful? To show mercy because it would take the mercy of God to remove the frogs. And fifthly, he conceded to allow the people to go and offer sacrifice unto the Lord. Notice verse 8. After this is done, I, and I will let, at the end of verse 8, the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, we know he's going to go back on this promise, but he is conceding here to allow the people go and offer sacrifice unto God. Now remember, that was the first time, that was the first request. Let the people go that they may go into the wilderness three days journey, offer a sacrifice and hold a feast unto the Lord. That was a reasonable request. And so Pharaoh here seems to be granting or conceding this reasonable request for them to go and to offer sacrifice unto the Lord. So that's the appeal of Pharaoh. We read um, in verse 9, And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee, for thy servants and for thy people, to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the rivers only? So, you want to go back to normal? And he said, Pharaoh, tomorrow. Now, I, I was just thinking, why not today? Or now? Now. <laughs> tomorrow. Perhaps is it because Pharaoh knows he's going to go back on his word? I, I don't know. Why wouldn't he want it immediately? Tomorrow. And he said, Moses, be it according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And so here, notice Moses is a great representative of the Lord because here he says, you know what? God will prove to you that He is Lord because you said tomorrow and it will happen tomorrow. Exactly like you've said. Verse 11 and the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And I don't know about you, but I would say just get rid of all the frogs. <laughs> don't want any more. So I would imagine, I, I, think about plagues. As if you lived, I, I, we don't know the period of time. I venture to say that it was more than seven days. Because I think that the first plague was seven day, lasted seven days and then was fulfilled the second plague Pharaoh had to entreat Moses and Aaron so whenever he had enough it could have been a day who knows but I think it, I think it was over seven days after seven days of all of that you don't want to see a frog for the rest of your life this has marked you this has had an impact on your life for the rest of your life you will talk to your grandchildren your great grandchildren about that day when the frogs came out of the river I wonder if the children would ask, well, Grandpa, why? Why did the frogs come? Well, you see, Pharaoh rebelled against God. Wouldn't let the people go. So God had to judge. But we also see the aftermath of the plague. Now, verse 12 
And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So we see, first of all, the cry to the Lord. So this is the aftermath. So, so Moses cries to the Lord. Now, I, I think based on that, that Moses has all, also had enough. Now, I think the frogs, since they were everywhere, the Israelites were also affected by it. And I think Moses was also personally affected by the frogs everywhere, just like everybody else. And so here I think there's a sense where Moses is looking forward to come to the Lord and he cries out to God, God, would you please take away the frogs? We are dependent on your mercy. We know that you are right and you're righteous. You're a God of judgment. And by the way, God was not only judging the Egyptians, but he was proving and testing the children of Israel to show them that all the Egyptian gods were false gods. And so he cries to the Lord to take away the frogs and we see that the Lord, verse 13, did according to the word of Moses. And so what I see here, not only the cry to the Lord, but we see the compassion of the Lord. The Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. That's the Lord's compassion. It is of the Lord's compassion that we are not consumed. It is of the Lord's mercy and compassion. God is a burning fire. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. If you turn with me, let's just look at that in Hebrews chapter 12. Notice Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. And now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signify the removing of those things that are shaken, of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And so here, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 12, he's talking to believers. God is a consuming fire. Listen to him, hear his voice. And so God is a God of compassion. He causes all the frogs that hadn't died under the foot of men to die. So we see the cry to the Lord, the compassion of the Lord, but then we see the condition of the land. Notice verse 14. This is the aftermath. And they, that's probably all the people in the land, gathered them, that's the frogs, together upon heaps, and the land stank. Well, no kidding. The land was already, had already stank. Right? From the blood. And now wherever you go in the land of Egypt, you'll find a heap of frogs. There's a heap, there's a heap. Probably outside of every village, the villagers probably would gather around. They would probably rake, get all their rakes and their shovels, and they would go right outside the villages, and they would just heap all those frogs into a heap. And the Bible says the land stank. There was stank from the first plague. Now there's uh, stank everywhere. So wherever you go in the land, you smell carcasses everywhere dead frogs 
everywhere. Just as the, the, the aftermath of all that you see. Verse 11 says, And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And so, it's interesting that, I want you to think here, because the next verse we see Pharaoh is going to change his mind. He's going to change his mind while he smells the stink of the frogs. That's how soon he's going to change his mind. There's still a visible presence of frogs everywhere. Although they're dead, they're visible, and you can smell them everywhere. And yet Pharaoh is going to turn. So we see not only the condition of the land, but then we see the conflict with the Lord in verse 15. The Bible says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. The word respite here basically means relief. Or the word can also mean breathing. Have you ever been so busy doing something and then you finally catch a breath? Oh, finally. Uh, this week we, uh, uh, Sophie, she flipped backwards off the hammock and broke her arm and so um, it was really the rest of the evening. Well, it took a couple hours for me to figure out something was really wrong and so we've, you know, you go to the hospital, you do all those things. So then I finally got back. It was about closer to two o'clock in the morning and I just sat on the bed. I was like, oh, Respite. I can breathe. Everything's done. Everything's taken care of. So Pharaoh, still with the stink and the sight of frogs, he senses a little respite. He takes a little breath. Perhaps he goes back to his chamber and he sits down and there's no frogs. And he thinks to himself, this is great. No frogs. There's relief. Can you imagine the pride and the arrogance in Pharaoh to soon forget the plague while the stench of dead frog carcasses are collected together in heaps across the land? But by the way, such are many in the world today. They are not often interested in repentance. The world wants relief while continuing in rebellion. Just give me relief. You see, many are content today to even acknowledge the existence of God without living in submission to God. Pharaoh says, well, God has done this. God is powerful. He is obviously more powerful than us. And he is now, uh, we'll ask him to see if he's merciful towards us. And then God shows mercy. And you see, man demonstrates here that Pharaoh's not interested in repentance. He's just interested in relief. He's just interested in having a comfortable life. He's just interested in himself being the God of his life and not being in submission to God. Well, the condition of man, the nature of man has still not changed. Here we are, some 4,000 years later, and man is still in the same condition. Judgment of God comes. God, make it easier for us. There's relief and reprieve, and man continues in wickedness. You know what uh, sexual immorality has produced in our world? Disease everywhere. And man still has not learned the lesson. We have people now who are trying to uh, try to 
uh, generate through medication, through treatment, the consequences of sinfulness and wickedness. And man continues. And so when there's a little bit of relief, we can continue in our wickedness. We can continue in our rebellion against God and against the ways of God. Why? Because man is more interested in relief than repentance. Man is still interested in having his own way and not God's way. He wants to abide in his wickedness. That's what Jesus said. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's why man doesn't come to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. You see, the pride and the arrogance abounds even today. While there's stench and disease everywhere. You know, we just came through, I think it was, well, let's see, yeah, June. June, isn't June Pride Month? Now think about that for just a moment. Pride Month. The most odious sin in the sight of God. Pride. The root of almost every sin in the world has been held up even though it's caused destruction, disease, violence everywhere. And men try to look for what? Relief, not repentance. By the way, when you read the book of Revelation, that's exactly what's going to happen. Men are going to cry for relief, but God says they would not repent. That's the condition of man. Now, the Egyptian represents the world. Certainly we see the pride and the arrogance, but I wonder if we can learn something about ourselves. How often have we wanted God to make our lives comfortable without getting things right between us and the Lord? We are running in a right race and we feel that God is not blessing us or we're not progressing spiritually, but because there's things in our lives that we will not make right with God. And so we want God to provide a smooth path for us in this world. We want relief and respite and reprieve. And we want to breathe, but we just don't want to get right with God. See, that was the trouble with the Hebrews. When you read in the book of Hebrews. That's why he told them in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. The chastening of the Lord is not a pleasant thing. But the Lord chastens you because he loves you. Accept the chastening of the Lord. And instead of resisting and hardening your heart, soften your heart to God. Get the things right and ordered in your life according to the will and, and the goodness of God. And so I am sure here that that has an impact in the Egyptians. But think about the impact that this would also have among the children of Israel who also, who also need to get rid of the Egyptian gods in their own lives. And so, may the Lord help us to consider the land here covered with frogs. God, again, deals, yes, while judging, He deals with man according to His mercy. 
You see, we have to think about whether it is the chastening hand of God for believers or the judgment of God upon un the unbelieving world. The goal, the goal is repentance. That's the goal. See, God doesn't do things because He's, you know, in the background saying, ha ha, how can I get man? The heart of God aches for the wickedness of man. Jesus Christ Himself wept over Jerusalem because they would not come to Him. This is not God being a, a mean God who, is, who can't wait to exercise His judgment on man. God is not like man. He is not a God who is trying to get back at man. He lives above us. And He rules and He reigns. And all He wants is submission and repentance to Him. Across the board. Those who are not saved, He wants them to repent and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And those who are saved, He wants them to live in communion and fellowship with Him. And when they don't, He chastens them to bring us back to Himself. That's what God does. Every time God has to exercise His judgment, it is not something, it is not something that God delights in and rejoices over and is happy about. He grieves. You study God's Word. He is grieved. He is broken hearted. As we read early on, I repent of the Lord that He had made man. He brought such grief to Him of the wickedness of man. And so we have to think, I know we think about the world, the wickedness of the world grieves the Lord. But can I say as well that sin in our lives also grieves the Lord? See, God is not okay with any sin. And so we may say as Christians, well, pastor, like we're not involved in idolatry, we're not getting drunk, we're not doing this and that and that. But... Let's think about the little things in our lives. The sin of pride and the sin of anger. I mean, we could go through the list on and on. Just read the New Testament. There's many instruction given to all the believers as to how we ought to live our lives before God. And so, may, the Lord, may we allow the Lord to do work in our lives. There are things in all of our lives, including mine, where God's trying to take things away and bring things in that He may be glorified.